Manuel has, he's actually started last week and, and, uh, in the church and, uh, uh, y'all pray cause we're not planning, to, we're not planning to pay him, but, uh, he doesn't know that yet. Uh, no, it's all volunteer work, but all volunteer. God bless you. you know? <laughs> no, I'd like for us to stand as we pray over this man and welcome him as part of the, the pastoral team here at Harvest. And we're thrilled and excited about that. And, and if I could get, um, where is, I'm trying to figure out, I'm looking out here. Okay, we've got our Tim up here. David Halcombe is out of town. He's helping his parents move back to Pennsylvania. And so, uh, is Nicole up here? She's downstairs working with children's ministry. All right, let's just extend our hands. Father, we thank you, Lord God. We lay hands upon Manuel and Jackie. Father, we thank you for the call of God upon their life. We thank you on Jackie, God, the call of God into, into areas of government. Father, the call of God, Father, to affect this nation, to affect states and communities, Lord God, for the things you've put on her heart, Father, and her involvement and in what it will be in the future. God, we just thank you, Lord. That is a, it's a, it's a new beginning for her. New beginning. Regardless of what happened in this last week's primary, God, it is, uh, it is a new beginning for you, Jackie. And your, your course is laid out by God so strongly, so strongly. And some people may feel like, well, you hit a dead end there. But I just tell you that there's a road connecting at that place that's leading you on, honey. That's gonna, that's gonna put you in, right in the midst of where your heart is, what you desire. So get ready. Get ready. You've got, you've got amazing days ahead. You really do. Father, we thank you for Manny. God, we thank you for the, his spirit, the humility that's within him, Lord God, the man of God that he is. Father, we thank you, God. We receive him. We thank you, God, for the gift that he is and will be, God, to this body of believers. God, we thank you, Father, for just uh, just, uh, um, just bringing us together as a team. We thank you for that, God. And, Lord, we just lay our hands upon him this morning, and we call forth the gifts of God that are within him. God, that it would just, it would just multiply. Father, that the level of ability and anointing he has operated in, God, that it becomes a new place. God becomes into a new level, Father, I pray. And so, God, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, that we extend our hands to him of affirmation, agreement, love, Father. Lord, we, just, we bless this man. We bless this man, Father. And we thank you, God, for the calling that's on his life, the calling to the gospel, his heart for souls, Father, his heart for people. God, he is a... He is he is, a, he is a fisher of men, Father, but he is also a discipler, God, of men and women, Father. We give you praise for that. Thank you, Lord God. Father, we thank you that your word says that you place everyone in the body according to you, your good pleasure. So we just thank you today that here in the natural, we're not doing anything new. Man, he's already ordained. He's already called. He's already had his hand, your hand upon him, Lord. He's already been anointed. 
So all we are doing today, Lord, is just adding him to this house and saying this is the place for now where God has called you to shine, to let your light shine, Manny, so that people will see your good works and glorify your Father. So we just thank you, Lord, for this house opening itself and growing today because we have invited and received this man as a minister of the gospel. We thank you, Lord, for the call of an evangelist, the power anointing that's in him and on him, Lord, in Jesus' name. And as he walks in your ways, as he chooses through his own free will to follow you and to do whatever you tell him to do, we thank you, Lord, that he will go and people who are associated with him will go from glory to glory because they receive the imparted word that you will speak through him, Lord. So we thank you for salvation that comes to our souls as, you, as we renew our minds through what he speaks to us through you and your spirit upon him. So we thank you for this day, Lord. We bless this day and we thank you that we can enlarge and receive another gift that you have given to the body, as you say in the book of Ephesians. So we thank you for this gift. We bless you and we say, come on in. We open you up and be yourself in Jesus' name in this house. All right. Let's welcome him. I, I, what I saw is I saw, at first I saw fire, but it was white hot, it was white hot fire. And, um, and the Lord said, no, laser beam. And he said that you have always been a laser, that you cut, he said, you go through and you cut away parts that need to be cut away. He said, but because of your faithfulness to him and your humility before him and that you stepped through the door that you're stepping through now, he said that he has amped that up. He said it is going to be hotter and it is going to be more precise. And he said it will so hit the mark that it needs to hit more so than ever. Amen. <laughs> uh, just like to say it is an honor and a privilege to serve in this house and to be a part of this body. Um, and as you all know, we are, we just love everybody here. We, we're just a family. Amen. Amen. I was telling people the other day, you got to get, uh, give me your name so I can make nicknames for you. That's how I remember names. I start making nicknames for people. Um, but that being said, God has literally, I just feel as though God has, uh, begin to put a new mandate on my heart and not only for this house, but for the body of Christ period. And as, as we move on, I know that God's going to do amazing things, and I know God is increasing and bringing lots of things uh, to this house. And I know many of you, also God has called, that God will begin to initiate some things in your life. Amen? Amen. I just want to uh, just lighten up the mood a little bit. Uh, I was looking at this, and I have something called Church Bulletin Bloopers. So I'm going to read some, just, just, you know, some typos people put inside of church bulletins and people write them down and say, this is funny. Well, the associate, here's what one said. The associate minister 
unveiled the church's new giving campaign slogan last Sunday. It said, I up my pledge, up yours. Anyway, uh, <laughs> here's another one. The cost for attending the prayer and fasting conference includes meals. Anyway, <laughs> this is another one that was in the bulletin. These are real ones. I mean, it's just funny, but. The peacemaking, peacemaking meeting scheduled for today has been canceled due to a conflict. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so today I want to talk a little bit about uh, your identity. Um, God has led me to uh, begin writing a book. This has been a two-year journey for me. And it's called Finding Your Identity in Your God. And um, one of the things that God placed upon me, I begin to see as, as our culture and everything begins to, to go through a lot of chaotic changes in, in this day and age, um, God began to show me how important it is for us to have our identity intact. Um, if you read in Matthew, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 16 really quick. And I just ask God, Father God, I just ask that you just place every word in my mouth. Let it be your mouth speaking. And let it be placed in every heart in this place. Lord, I ask that the ears be open to hear and to receive in Jesus' name. So from verse 13, go to the next slide. I know it's kind of uh, small, but from verse 13, it says, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea, uh, Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that you are John the Baptist, some Elias or Elijah, others Jeremiah or Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said unto them, But whom say you that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Simon answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. In verse 17, he said, and Jesus answered and said unto him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Now, he, he, tell, he calls him by his father's name, by the name that was given to him on earth. Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed it unto you, but my father which is in heaven. And I say also unto you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, and I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he charged his disciples, and he said that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. In other words, he told them, don't preach that yet. Amen. Amen. So today I just want to talk about one of the ageless questions I believe that Jesus asked. He said, who do you say that I am? I need you to look at your neighbor real quick. You probably don't know them or maybe you do. And just say, who do you say that I am? It's a deep question. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind... When somebody asks you a question like that, is you start looking at 
uh, their job description, what they do, how they look like, maybe their skin pigmentation. I mean, everything comes to mind that's humanistic. Everything that's humanistic will come to your mind when somebody asks you a question, who do you say that I am? So that being said, Jesus asked the first question. He said, who do men say that I am? Now, everyone out there had an idea of who Jesus was. I mean, they, they were looking at his works. He was raising the dead. He was casting out demons. He was doing things that other people never did before. So obviously, the only thing they had to refer to was their humanistic way of thinking. They said, well, the only thing that we know and know of people who can do this was either Jeremiah or Elijah or, or John the Baptist or, or one of these good prophets. They were doing it. So they were looking at what Jesus was doing as opposed to who he was. And you see, if you get caught up in just doing and performance, your identity can get caught up in performance and doing and not in who you really are. So people were describing his miracles, which was a result of who he really was. It had nothing to do about who he was, but it was just a result of who he really was. You see, the miracles and the signs and wonders came because he was Christ, the son of the living God. It came because he knew who he was and it was connected to the father directly. And they had no other choice but to manifest because of who he was. Now, when you ask the question, who am I? Who am I? It becomes a question of searching within yourself of how or where you are. Now, I grew up without a dad, and I, I do feel uh, that young lady that came up to the pastor and said, you know, some of us don't have our father. I didn't grow up with a father. So I grew up for years asking, who am I? Where am I from? Who was my dad? Where is he at? I found out later on in life my dad uh, was killed in a supermarket uh, protecting someone, and he was actually shot to death. And when I began to find out more and more about who my dad was, I began to understand more and more uh, my genealogy and where I came from. But living in the gospel, I began to understand that I had a lot of my dad in me, but I was nothing like my dad. Because my identity was now wrapped up in Christ and not in my genealogy. Can, can I say, can I hear amen? If you don't believe the genealogy is strong, when you go to the doctor, one of the things they ask you is if your parents or somebody in your family had a disease. And if they've had cancer or if they had this and, or diabetes, what's the likely chance that you might have this or you might have that co comparing to your genealogy? And that is a lot of times that we see the humanistic way of thinking, they connect you to who you are in the natural. And that's just the natural way of thinking. We cannot, we cannot disconnect ourselves from who we are in the natural. We can't disconnect ourselves. How many here have a last name? Amen. You know, you know there, there, there's a lot of people who have, who have a last name by marriage. 
And maybe that marriage didn't work out, and you had to get rid of that last name, go back to the last name. But your last name is always. Now, us Hispanics, we usually carry two, two last names. It'd be the father first and then the mother, or the mother uh, first and then the father, you know? So my name would be like Carlos Manuel Gonzalez Delgado Jr. Yeah, they say that three times fast. But that was the way that they connected us to a family, to a unit. It was a last name connected. How many know that Christ is not Jesus' last name? <laughs> so here, here's the thing. The way they connected you in the Jewish culture was they called your first name and you were the son of somebody. So blessed are you, Simon, son of Barjona. You were the son of somebody. Even Jesus, when he was approached by the Pharisees, he said, they said, is this not the son of Joseph, the carpenter? There was an identity attached to where you were from and who you were born under or who house you were born under. And that's how your identity was, was, was identified in those days. There is a strong misconception of identity in these days. Everyone is identified by this humanistic way of thinking now. Now we, we've lost our identity. We have no identity. Some people in the church don't even know what God has called them to be. They could be sitting in church for 15 years and don't know where or how or what God has called them to do. Well, I'd like to let you know that your identity doesn't lie in a church. It doesn't lie in a job description. It lies in Christ. Let me, let me give you some, some pointers here. I'll show you what happened. Jesus asked them a question. The first question was, who do men say that I am? And that question was a question not to see what people were thinking, but to show them something. Every time Jesus asked a question, it was going to be referred back to a lesson of some sort. So Jesus is asking them a question, not to find out who people say that he is. He's not concerned about that. He wants to make a contrast between the two questions he's asking here. So here's what he asked first. Who do men say that I am? Men, that word, humans, people with regular knowledge, people who don't have a relationship with me, people who have no concern of who I am, people who have not spent time with me. Who do they say that I am? And then these people said, well, he must be a prophet. You see the confusion there? None of them knew who he really was. All of them had a different job description or a different prophet they were attaching his name to but none of them had it on none of them hit it on the nail why because they had no relationship with who he, who he was they had no relationship with him now he turns the question over he says now you why you because you've been with me you're walking with me you're talking with me you're eating with me you're laying here you're coming with me you're you're you, you know now who do you say that i am if you can get that relationship to the point where God is asking you 
Not anybody else, not what other people think, not what a theology has brought into your mind, not a religious way of thinking, not a traditional way of thinking. I want to know what you say because I want to know the relationship that you have with me and whether or not you know who I am. And so Jesus asked this question, and this question is so deep because all of the disciples are sitting there. All of them have the same question at hand, but only one answers. Only one answers. And it might seem like the one that answers is the one that's totally out of control. He's a loud mouth. He's a cusser. He's a crazy wild man from Galilee. He's a fisherman. In those days, fishermen were not very, very uh, high on the social status, if you know what I mean. And here this guy who likes to blurt out craziness blurts out this answer. He says, you are Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus looks at him and says, you know what? That revelation didn't come from any of those people you talked to last week. revelation didn't come from the Pharisees. That revelation didn't come from the people of Galilee. That revelation didn't come from anybody here. That revelation came from my father. That means for a moment in time, Simon was connected to the father. I tell you what happened. Jesus said, I and my father are one. If you see me, you've seen the father. In that very moment in time, Simon looked past everything everybody was saying and just got in the moment and said, I know who you are. You are the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, the son of the living God. They might have called you Jesus. They might have said, Unto him, a child is born. The child, his name is Jesus, but unto him, a son is given. The son's name is Christ. I'm going to give you this son anointing, this thing right here that you have just qualified for. When you said, I am Christ, I'm going to tell you who you are now. Because you have identified who I am. Now I'm going to give you your identity. And I'm so, I'm so crazy that, that the adoption papers, I give them right on the spot. I change your name at the same time. Blessed are you, Simon, but now you're Peter. Because upon this rock, upon this revelation that you just received, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against this revelation. The revelation that I am Christ. The reason why... Many people think that the gates of hell have prevailed against the church. It's because we're not walking on the revelation of Christ. We need to be walking on the revelation of Christ. You know, I've traveled the world and I've seen a lot of churches that are very soul-centered. Spiritually centered. Very people-centered. And all of that is good in its moment. But I love a church that's Christ-centered. When we're Christ-centered, everyone is pointing back to Christ. You know, I'm not upset at what my pastor just said to me. Because guess what? 
my identity is not wrapped up in that. My identity is wrapped up in Christ alone. And let me tell you something. I'm not upset if somebody walks outside of the ways of Christ and I'm not judging them and pointing at them because I know that my identity is in Christ. And when I begin to put my identity in him, then I begin to see things the way he sees it. Let's talk about Jesus for a second here. Here he picked 12 different men. All of them had different backgrounds. A couple of them were from the same background, which was fishing, but all of them had different personalities. All of them had different personalities. Who else can get a doctor, a fisherman, uh, a tax collector, a publican, you know, and, 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 and get all of these guys with different personalities and have them sit at the same table and eat and talk all the time? That guy was a great HR person. Talk about administrative pastor. The guy had an anointing to bring people to the table. He had a thief there who was still stealing. I could only imagine some of the conversations that went on at night within all of the disciples, and they're probably arguing and saying, no, that's not the way it is. The other one's saying, well, yes, that's the way it is. The other one's saying, well, you haven't paid your taxes. And the other one's saying, well, you know, if Jesus really heals, I got to check him again to make sure that, they, you know, the healing is confirmed. So I'm wondering, how did Jesus do it? What was his secret? Where was his mind when he looked at them and said, you did not choose me, but my father chose you? What was that about? I like, I like to question these things. Sometimes I read the Bible and I go, what? Well, here's the revelation behind it. Jesus never saw Simon as Simon Barjona. He always saw him as Peter. Jesus never saw, Math, never saw Levi as Levi. He always saw him as Matthew. Jesus never saw John, the son of Zebedee, as the son of thunder. He always saw him as John, the beloved. So when he called all of these guys... He's basically talking to them, and sometimes he would get frustrated. He goes, man, when are you going to get it? How long do I have to be with you? You remember those conversations with Jesus? Oh, you have little faith. You ain't getting it yet. Then he would catch himself, I believe, and go, hold on, man, hold on, hold on. I'm still looking at them for who they're going to be. Do you see, do you see that now? When? We begin to look at people for who they are in heaven. Our whole perspective changes about them. We're not sitting there trying to struggle and to make them come into a place. Now I'm treating you of who you are in heaven. And when I begin to treat you that way, you begin to catch up now. When the disciples came and said, we couldn't cast out this demon, Jesus said, why? <laughs> You should be able to do it. 
Then Jesus said, you need to pray and fast a little bit more. Praying and fasting is never to try to get more power. It's always for you to get more relationship with God. Okay? So, it's, it, you know, I've heard people say this theology of, well, Jesus said, this kind goeth out, not by. And then he, he, they would say, well, we got to pray and fast for that demon. No, you don't. Prayer or fasting is for you to gain a relationship with God. It's killing your flesh to get into the, to, to that spiritual realm where God says, you know you're loved. I love you anyway. You're seated in heavenly places. Just cast out the demon. He reassures you in prayer and fasting. Of who you are and whose you are. So, in identity, we need to start recognizing who we are. The authority that we carry. The power that we have. Get rid of this identity crisis we're having. People want titles. It's all good if you go to school and you gain a title of doctorates and, you know, whatever. But I've been to places where people have more titles than names. Dr. Bishop, founder, apostle. (laughs) Chief proselyte. Then the name comes. Whoa. What just happened? I tell you what happened. Our identity got caught up in titles. You know, I really don't care what you call me. I know who I am. Who do men say that I am? Well, some say you're a prophet. When I go to places, they call me prophet. They call me apostle. They call me, I don't care. I know who I am. I am the beloved of God. I am his son. I am anointed, appointed by God. I am his. I have access to the kingdom. Amen? So all of the titles in the world does not change who I am. And what we've done, we've, we've gained that kind of perspective on people. We've put titles and all that stuff on people. If you're walking in a calling, that's fine. To me, I think that it's better that you just walk it out. Just walk it out. If God has called you to do a certain thing in, in one of the five-fold ministries, just walk it out. Just walk it out. Don't be waiting for anybody to give you a title. Just walk it out. If you're an evangelist, go out and preach in the streets. If you're a teacher, teach somebody. Come on now. Amen? Some people tell me, well, I want to be a pastor. Well, you know, at least learn to pastor. Pastor the, the hamsters in your house. Some Pastor something. Start pastoring. But that, that deep down... Wanting of a position and title comes from a, a wanting of who you are, of a father. That deep down wanting of, of fame and, and glory is a deep down wanting for only what God can give you. And when we look at it at the end of the day, a lot of these things are just caught up in our fleshly uh, way of thinking and only in us, ourselves, in a very selfish manner. And it has nothing to do with God. But when Jesus begins to give us the revelation of 
that he is Christ and that he came to give us access to the Father, that we might be anointed and that we might get in to this place with him where we are joint heirs with him. See, Jesus was never selfish. He shares his throne. He literally shares his throne. He says, we are, you are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You know, at the end of the day, we're not the body of Jesus. We're the body of Christ. So the real identity comes out when Paul begins to write in, 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 in the scriptures, he begins to show us that we're the body of Christ. Why? Because the identity was in Christ. It's always been in Christ. Everything you are is in Christ. Now, here's one of the things that I begin to understand here. During this day and age, and I'll put my disclaimer out there, I'm speaking this. And during this day and age, we have a very, very skewed view of identity. Do you know that there are currently 63 different genders? According to apath.org, there is 63 different genders and it's growing. Now, to me, this is a distorted humanistic view of what the Bible says. Because the Bible says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Now, let's see what Jesus said. Go to the next slide, Matthew 19. Jesus said, this is the Pharisees coming to him. He said, Jesus answered and said to them, have you not read that which made, that which made them at the beginning, made them male and female? Next slide, please. Thank you, Edward. Okay. He answered and said, have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female. Now, to me, to say any other thing is saying God made a mistake. That's one. Humanistic secularism distorts identity. Okay? And the next thing it does, it confuses identity, and God is never the author of confusion. Why do I say this today is because, and it's not to knock anybody, because grace, let me, let me give you a little disclaimer about grace. Grace is never an empowerment to sin. It's not a license to sin. The, the whole revelation of grace is when Jesus meets the woman who's an adulteress. She's about to get stoned. He says, he who is without sin cast the first stone. All of them leave. He looks at the lady in her eyes. He said, where are your accusers? She said, nowhere. He said, I neither accuse you, but go and sin no more. Grace just pulled you from death. Now God empowers you to go and sin no more. That's grace. That's grace. Now go back to identity. How do we remedy this issue in our ever-changing culture today? You don't soapbox the issue. You don't stand and say, well, Jesus wants to send all these people to hell. That's just not biblical 
at all. You know, I was part of a, a, a large amount of pastors who had to condemn a Hispanic pastor who said during this Orlando shooting that all of them were being judged by God and they should have been killed. So my exact words were, a life is a life. A soul is a soul. God never, listen to me, God never leads with judgment. He always leads with love. God will never lead with judgment. He always leads with love. And so I condemned those words, and I said, this is not the heart of real Christianity. The heart of real Christianity is to reach out to people and to lead them to Christ. So how do we remedy this situation? Stop looking at the sin. And start looking at who they are in heaven. And lead them to Christ. Lead them to their identity. You see, we had more people in church who were trying to lead people to their identity in Christ. We'll have less discussions about certain things. You know, sin is sin. No matter what it is. I don't think God is up there going, well, this sin is greater than this sin. I don't think God is going to have a specific, you know, uh, sins in, in, in categories stating, oh, well, you know, you sin this much. I think sin is sin. I believe uh, one sin in marriage, adultery is just as bad as homosexuality is just as bad. Anything that is in the confines of sin, God is not sitting there going, well, he judged, he judged that on the cross. And what he's trying to do is get the church to come to a place where we can lead people out of sin and into grace and into Jesus. If we can get to the place where we're not condemning, but bringing people to their place of understanding. You see, Jesus, the whole time that he's sitting there with Peter, he knew he was going to deny him three times. He knew he was going to mess up. The whole time he's sitting there, he knew that when, when Judas was passing around the offering basket, he was taking out $10, $12, putting it in his pocket. He knew he was double dipping. He knew that when Judas picked up a special offering, it wasn't for Jesus. You remember? He said, we should use that for benevolence. And Jesus said, you ain't going to use it for benevolence. He knew he ain't benevolence. <laughs> Our identity should never be wrapped up in what we do or in performance. Or even wrapped up in our pigmentation. I've heard people say, well, that multicultural church. Where do you think you're going? <laughs> when you get to heaven, they're going to have a whole other section for you. Oh, you from that church. Oh, come on. 
I think when we get to heaven, we're going to be very surprised. We're going to be like, what you doing here? Our identity is not based on our pigmentation, but in Christ alone. You know, in the early 60s, when Dr. Martin Luther King decided to start walking, he decided from a prayer closet and from a pulpit that he was going to take a stand for injustice. And he didn't look at what man was going to say and how many were against him. But come to think about it, when you start looking at it, many of the people who were not of that pigmentation joined the fight. Christians who said, this is injustice. And said, we're going to join. Christians died joining that fight. Who said, you know what? We're going to look beyond all of this foolishness. And even though it's law of the land, we're going to say, this is not the law of the word of God. Because the word of God's law is supreme above all. And it said there's neither Greek nor Jew. There's neither male nor female. It doesn't, doesn't discriminate across the line. It just says we're Christians. And we got to stand on that. And so when he took that fight on and he saw so many people standing with him, and many people don't know in history books, they don't, they don't explain very well. Many people don't know. Many died fighting for that fight. Many Gentiles during the Roman Empire of, of the time when the church was being persecuted, died protecting Christians. Why are we so caught up in all of these things? The media, humanistic secularism, has put us to have this divide between us by political party and by pigmentation. And it is this distortion of the truth of the word of God. Our identity does not lie in sexuality. If you say, well, my identity lies in my sexuality, well, let me let you know something. Sexuality is based on fleshly lust and a human desire. It is not based on spiritual concepts and kingdom thinking. It cannot be based on gifts alone because the gifts are given to us because of who we are and whose we are, not to make us who we are. Does that make sense? I'm going to say it again. The gifts are given to us because of who we are and whose we are, not to make us who we are. The gifts do not identify us. Jesus even said, many in that day will say, I cast out devils in your name. And he said, I knew you not. It was relationship, and it's only relationship that gives you your identity. Not gifts. So, here's another thing. What Jesus didn't do, and I always look at people, I remember uh, going to uh, uh, different theological uh, trainings, and they would tell me, well, you know Paul, and Paul, and I said, what about Jesus? I mean, we studied everything from, from 1 Corinthians all the way to every book that Paul wrote, and I said, nobody ever covered Matthew, Mark, Luther, and John. Like, Jesus' ministry was the most important ministry. And so one thing I recognized about Jesus, he never identified anybody by their ethnicity or their social status. Never did. Zacchaeus was a mobster. A midget mobster. I don't even know how that happened. 
He was a little person, but he was a mobster. He had some clout up in there. I'm telling you, he was stealing people's money. He was an extortionist. He was embezzling. And he goes and hangs off a tree, and Jesus goes, Zacchaeus, me? Yeah, you. He said, come on, let's go to your house and eat. Never said, hey, Zacchaeus, I see you robbing people. You, generation of vipers, get down from that tree. Give everybody their money back, thief. Never did it. Not once. Went to his house and ate while he was eating. He got convicted and said, I'm going to give everything back, and I want to join you. Why? Because he found out the identity of who this man was. And it gave him, and when Je- the way Jesus spoke to him, he was like, whoa, this guy's not even looking at my sin. What is he seeing? I'm seeing who you are in heaven, Zacchaeus. The reason why I called you is because my father recognized you in the tree. You've just been misconstrued. You've been a little bit distorted. You should be a businessman and not a mafioso. Maybe he should have been handling the finances and not Judas, huh? Anyway. He never recognized the publicans. He just went and sat and ate with them. Never recognized any of the prostitutes. He just went and just sat and ate with them. And for some reason, they would just come crawling to him and following him. Even the man who came with the legion of demons, Jesus asked the demons, what is your name? And when the demon was gone, the guy was laying at his right mind at the feet of Jesus. He told Jesus, I want to follow you because he recognized who Jesus was. Because the demons in him said, you are the son of God. The very demonic recognizes Christ's identity. And it's sad that many of us don't. Now, there's certain instances in the Bible, and we'll end with this, where people had an encounter with God, and God identified, they identified God, and God identified them. Abram, whose name was Exalted Father, and when he met El Shaddai, El Elyon, he identified his God, and God said, I'm going to change your name from Abram, Exalted Father, to Abraham, Father of Many Nations. Jacob had an encounter with God, and God said, I'm going to change your name from surplanter and only the holder of a heel, because he was holding on to his brother's heel when he came out of the womb. And God said, you no longer are going to be the tail. I'm going to make you Israel, which means triumphant with God and one who prevails with God. Levi, he joined the team, and God said, you know what? Your name is joining, but I'm going to make you Matthew, which means gift. Simon, which means he has heard, I'm going to make you from, he has heard to Peter, meaning stone or rock. Saul, which means for of God I inquired, I'm going to make you to Paul, meaning small and humble. What was Jesus doing here? He was giving them adoption papers. When you're adopted, you came in with one name, but the parents in the adoption agency, have the right to change your name. They change your name to give you a new identity. 
So like that, whatever past that child came from would not be attached to it. And now it's a new identity. We're going to raise you the right way. We're going to give you a new name. And you're going to be a new person in this identity. Many children who've been adopted can tell you that some of them who grew up probably 9, 10 years old who were adopted at that age, they grew up very in a poor family, whatever. They go into a family that treats them well. They come out being prosperous. Why? Because they had a new identity now. They were in a new household. They're being trained differently. Romans 8, the last slide, please. I love this. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for those who walk after the spirit, not after the flesh. If you are caught up in identities that have to do with humanistic, fleshly way of thinking, then that is not after the spirit. Here's what, here's what Jesus said. For what the law could not do, verse 3, that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. For they that are not after the flesh do, or, or, or are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God, but you are not. You are not. You are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. And if so be that in the spirit of God dwell in you, now if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of us. But I'm glad that all of you here have the spirit of Christ. And if you don't today, you will have it before you leave this house. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by a spirit that dwelleth in you. Go to the next slide. Listen to this. For if we live after the flesh, we shall die. But if we... Through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body. You shall live. For as many are as led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, Daddy. The Spirit itself beareth witness within our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs and heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. And if so be that we suffer with him, we may also be glorified together. Let's stand to our feet. Our identity should never be caught up in the things of the flesh, things that people have put out there. We know the word. You have the truth. Jesus said, the truth shall set you free.